Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this place be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, stagnancy, ignorance. All of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkady in your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated. A letter of Apostle Paul to the Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God into righteousness and holiness of truth. The right to set aside our former way of life to be clothed in a new way of life. For the fulfillment of this commandment, written by Apostle Paul, and presented to us in the series of sermons of Apostle Arkady, there are three basic faithful commands and verbs. This is to set aside, to renew, and to clothe. To confirm this commandment, we will refer to one more place of scripture in which the same author provides an analogy for the truth that calls us to set aside our former way of life and its works so that we could be clothed into the new man who has the ability to be renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Colossians chapter 3 verses 8 through 11. But now you yourselves you, yourselves, the church. The letter to the Ephesian church, Apostle Paul writes to the church. Not to the people of this world, but specifically to the church. Now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. We have noted that answering these fateful questions will affect whether we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy 
or vessels of wrath, or rather, will we perfect the salvation that is given to us in the format of a deposit, or will we waste it forever? Because of this, our names will forever be blotted out of the Book of Life. In a certain format, we have already examined the first two questions and have stopped to examine the following question. What conditions must we fulfill so that through our renewed thinking we could begin the process of clothing ourselves into the powers of our new man who is created by God in Christ Jesus in the righteousness and holiness of truth? And with regard to clothing ourselves into our new man, we came to the conclusion that we need God's help in the subject of His mercy. Because God's mercy is the unique power of God that yields the essence of God in the inheritance of man out of the seed of the word of truth. The means for accepting this kind of help expressed in the inheritance of God's mercies, as we remember, is the weapon of prayer and worship. Because prayer is not just the means for man's communication with God, but the right that man gives the heavens to interfere here on earth. And we are called to give God this right only on His established conditions. And this kind of right that brings the legislation of God into action can be obtained by us only under the conditions established by God in which we, due to our dedication to God, are called to coincide with the inner state of God. Today we will uh, be reminded of one of the properties of the new man as a warrior of prayer, or rather will remember and affirm that revelation that is presented to us by the Holy Spirit through our Apostle on the basis of Scripture, how we can keep and prosper in the fruit of thanksgiving that is necessary in prayer to God. If we are simply praying and saying, Lord, I thank you, I thank you, behind our words, there is no action that stands, nor any kind of holy deed. And this kind of thanksgiving to God will mostly satisfy our religious needs, our desires, and that's it. And our prayer will, and our thanksgiving will not be brought to the, will not be brought higher than the ceiling of the building that we're in. Let's remember and pay attention to what we ought to do so that our thanksgiving can reach the heavens. In Scripture, the definitions and purpose contained in the word thanksgiving is attributed to a prayer as a commandment, a decree, and a military order, non-compliance of which will break our relationship in a covenant with God and makes us sons of perdition. According to Scripture, the definition and purpose contained in the word thanksgiving is directly related to the quality of our faith or the quality of our obedience to the will of God. Thanksgiving and prayer can come only from a good and grateful heart because the heart of a warrior of prayer will determine what kind of prayer he brings.
And we shall remember that if our thanksgiving is not poured out in an action of thanksgiving expressed in obedience to the specific will of God, then this means that we take His statutes and covenant in our lips, yet hate His instruction in words, casting them behind us. But to the sinner God says, take a look, to the sinner God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? Psalms chapter 50 verses 16 through 17. And so, keeping and cultivating the fruit of thanksgiving in prayer. According to principles laid out in Scripture, everything that does not expand or cultivate begins to dwindle and diminish. To expand and cultivate the fruit of thanksgiving and prayer, four things are necessary. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. According to these words, it follows that in order to have thanksgiving, it is necessary to walk in Christ Jesus, to be rooted in Christ Jesus, to be built up in Christ Jesus, and to be established in faith with Christ Jesus. Expanding our abilities in Christ Jesus and all of these spheres will depend on the success of thanksgiving in our prayer, in which we use the weapon of thanksgiving and outline a circle around our abilities in Christ Jesus, affirming the promises that have not been fulfilled yet as being fulfilled. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Genesis chapter 28, verses 12 through 15. So, until I bring you, I will not be calmed until you spread abroad this earth. until you receive your body in your control. During the length of Jacob's life, God gave him a little out of what he promised, because the fulfillment of the whole promise was to be fulfilled for thousands of years. However, during the length of his days, Jacob thanked God for the promise he had received, as it was existent. We must remember that God's prerogative is to be vigilant over His Word so that it would be fulfilled in all of its 
in all of its fullness and during his established time, of which is said, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you be, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in your author- in his own authority. We shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verses 6-8 through Therefore, our prerogative is to accept and thank God for His Word and that form which He reveals it for us. Thanking God should be done from a position of trust. Trust that God will fulfill what was said by Him in our address and in that time which He placed on His authority. We must also behave ourselves according to the word we have received. Pastor constantly reminds us of this, to behave ourselves as if you already have this promise, as if this word has already brought fruit in your heart. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your Maker is your husband. Uh, Here it is written that this is infancy, carnal nature. There, where we are constantly and falling, falling, and falling. God always shows His mercy in this because He continually lifts us up. He gives us strength to get up again, again, and again. And we don't just see this fall, we also see His mercy. He continually restores us. And here God says, and you will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. You will forget the shame of your youth. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Isaiah chapter 54 verses 2 through 5. Words such as expand, expansion, strengthen your stakes, points to the character of our thanksgiving that is supposed to continually expand and be successful in those spheres that yield the quality of our thanksgivings. And of course, for this purpose, it is necessary to be a disciple, to have the position of active humility before the person whom God has established for us, so that we can learn how to be successful in these disciplines with thanksgiving. The phrase, as you are taught, tells us that Apostle Paul in his letter explained these truths in the format of a teaching to the church. And so to keep and cultivate the fruit of thanksgiving in these four spheres, it is necessary to clothe them in a format of questions. How do we walk in Christ Jesus? How do we be rooted in Christ Jesus? How do we be affirmed or built up into Christ Jesus? And how do we be established or strengthened in faith in Christ Jesus? If we are not familiar with these fears, we will not be able to be successful in them with thanksgiving or clothe them into the fruit of a mouth that praises God. 
So here is a specific action. The word behind the word must stand the specific action, the image of our life. The order in which the Holy Spirit, through Apostle Paul, presented these four spheres in which we are called to succeed in thanksgiving, flow from one another, and each is a result of the previous. And to ignore the sequence of this order means to break it and walk in a false direction in which our success in thanksgiving will lose its legitimacy as well as its meaning. So here it's very important to have this order implemented. And so let us take a look at the first question. What conditions must we fulfill to walk with Christ Jesus and be successful in this walk with thanksgiving? And so we will bring forth this phrase as it is written in Scripture. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. We ought to think about this phrase and we'll take a look why. Figuratively, the territory of the kingdom of heaven is presented in Christ Jesus with His glory, with His atmosphere, His unfading riches, His wisdom expressed in His laws and statutes. And if you have paid attention, then based on this phrase, we are called to walk in Christ Jesus only on those conditions and according to those requirements on the foundation of which we have accepted Him. Or as it is written, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. In this manner, we can walk in Christ Jesus just as we have heard of Him through the preached word of His messengers. Or, the word of the teacher that we have chosen for ourselves by the ways of dem democracy or through people whom we have established for ourselves and have accepted. Proceeding from this factor, the image preached by Christ will differ and not coincide, neither with the letter nor with the spirit of Scripture, just as these people differ from each other in their understanding. For some, this will be the image of a philosopher, and for others, this could be an image of a conqueror, the image of a philanthropist, the image of a monk, detached from all the charms of earthly life, or the image of a tolerant democrat, lenient to sexual minorities. Or an image of a regular man, as he is presented to people by certain charismatic leaders. I like how Pastor says the word hooligans, those that are hooligans, hooligan charismatics, or the image of material riches of, a, riches of a successful and politicized businessman. And only very few, only very few, it will be God in the virtue of the Son of Man who could be understood and known only in the body of Christ and in the conditions in Scripture through the preached word of His messengers. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? God did not send those people. They were selected by way of a democratic vote. Or they placed themselves 
And, of course, they preach of a different Christ, not the one who is presented in Scripture. You will say, well, how? We read the same Bible. But God did not send them. This word is not anointed. It cannot bring resurrection in the heart of a person. It is dead. It is going to carry death. and It is going to destroy these kind of people that follow them. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, even about those people whom God has placed. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. The words that the messengers of God preach, only these words are the commandments and statutes of God. This, These are the decrees of God, and this is the faith of God. This is the one who says, our faith is like a warrior who obeys this commandment. We must firmly understand that according to the words of Christ, the body of Christ in the face of God's chosen saints out of the many who are called is defined as the narrow gates. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, take a look, they are going to search in that moment when the master will already have closed the door. And he will say, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. They taught on their own streets. Take a look, here it is written. Pastor oftentimes highlights this. The main reason as to why the many who are called will search how to enter the narrow gates but will not be able to it is because they will not want to enter by the conditions established in Scripture. And these conditions are comprised of a person dying to his nation, to his household, and to his corrupt desires that are clothed in evangelism that comes from his soul, which are seen by Scripture as lawlessness. We must know that to accept Christ in our heart is to accept in our heart justification by faith in Christ Jesus. By faith, remember, the word that comes from the lips of the Anointed One. According to Scripture, justification is not imputing guilt or sin to man that was committed. Not imputing guilt or sin. That's how there is guilt in the conscience of a person, when he loses boldness and cannot find boldness in faith because he finds he follows the voice of those people whom God has not established. Take a look. When Christ walked along the earth, his word differed from the words of the scribes and Pharisees. Remember this was written because he preached it with authority. His word was with authority, and this authority was given to him by the Father. So, each person who had accepted this word, 
he had received this authority in his spirit as well. True faith can be accepted only from the lips of the person sent by God, and therefore, justification will be true only through this kind of faith. So, a conscience is cleansed from dead works only with the word of the person whom God has sent. In the place of Scripture, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God, for He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21 chapter 5 verses 19 through21 a reasonable question arises are we accepting Christ in the moment of our salvation when we repent in our sins and make a covenant with him through baptism and water the reality is that during the moment of our repentance or accepting Christ in our heart we re- accept our justification in salvation in the format of a seed that must be sown or in the format of a loan or a deposit that is necessary to place into circulation. And if we have made a covenant with God in baptism of water but are not taught how to die to our nation, our household, and our corrupt desires, we will lose our salvation that is given to us in the format of a seed or in the format of a deposit. Take a look. Again, we are, if we are not taught. Therefore, to walk in Christ, just as we have received Him, is possible only after we sow ourselves in His death and resurrect with Him in His resurrection. Because in the death of Christ, we do not walk. We walk in the resurrection of Christ. It is impossible to walk by faith in death. It is difficult and tormenting in death. And when we rise with Christ in resurrection, we have the ability to walk by faith. According to this principle, until the death of Christ does its work in our essence through the cross of our Lord Jesus and separates us from our nation, our household, and our soul, then we will never be able to stand in His resurrection so that we can walk in Him. As you had accepted the Lord Jesus and so walk in Him. Let us remember the exodus of the nation of Israel out of Egypt and the long trek in the wilderness is the work of the cross of Christ that is intended to separate us from Egypt, which they carried out in their souls. And out of the multitude that came out of Egypt, only two people walked into the promised land, as well as the children who were born in the wilderness, whose fathers fell as bones in the wilderness. Two people, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. This is an image of the personified truth and an image of the Holy Spirit, which, in the heart of the children who were born in the wilderness, was Thumim and Urim. The temptations of Egypt were unknown to these children. When God had spoken His judgment toward those who desired to return to Egypt, all of these children were not yet 20 years old, and yet and the retribution of the judgment did not relate to them. 
They had no desire. They didn't even know what Egypt was. They didn't know the food of Egypt. They didn't know the taste, the melon, the vegetables. All that they ate, they they had not known of it. They knew only the, the manna which God had given them in the wilderness. These children also had not didn't even have a dream of this. This is, again, referring to our new man born of God. Jordan was an image of death that they were supposed to have victory over with the death of the Lord Jesus under the direction of Joshua, the son of Nun, who represented an image of the Holy Spirit. And when they walked across Jordan onto the other shore, where the boundaries of the promises of the earth were, then they rose up out of death. And only then they received the opportunity to walk with Joshua, the son of Nun, according to the laws and statutes given to them by Moses. Only then do we receive the opportunity to be led, to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so, the children born in the wilderness is an image of the new man. Their fathers who fell as bones in the wilderness is an image of the death of the sinful man or the, or the old man, an image of our soul which we planted in the death of the Lord Jesus, so that we could gain it in a new form on that other side of Jordan in the children who were born in the wilderness. And now the time has come to consider the meaning of the two commanding verbs contained in the phrase we are analyzing. And just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. The fact is that the meaning of these two verbs has a certain identity, but only with a different purpose. As you received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. We accept justification in Christ on the conditions of a covenant, and we walk in Christ according to the truth contained in the covenant. To receive, the word to receive means to receive on the conditions of a covenant, to take as a property or belonging, to abide in a covenant, to keep the covenant, to walk around, to reckon with sovereign rights, to maintain a perimeter defense around the covenant, and to act in accordance with the covenant. So, to not violate the covenant, and to walk. To walk is to walk in a circle around justification, to behave righteously, to live in truth, conduct yourself in harmony with truth, protect the interests of the truth, and act according to the truth. In this case, in order to succeed in thanksgiving in the existing areas, we must distinguish between the sphere of receiving Christ and the sphere of walking in Christ. So, for example, in the sphere of receiving Christ, when we receive Christ, we will have some kind of relationship with the sovereign rights of our soul. Because when we accept Christ, we are still carnal. We can't right away become a spiritual person. We need to be taught. Be taught how to turn, how to deal with our soul, how to see how to see our soul, how to view, begin to view our soul. While in the realm of walking in Christ, we will have a relationship with the sovereign rights of Zion, with the spiritual man. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me, and we skirted Mount Seir for many days. Remember, this was Asaph, an image of the soul. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, 
You have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward and command the people northward. Remember the teaching of baptism, where it is from. It is on the northern side. And command the people, saying, You are about to pass the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall buy food from them with money that you may eat. And you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These forty years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. How God comforts us as infants. And our soul. God not only saved our spirit, but also our soul. And He cares for our soul. And as we heard, to truly utilize our salvation, we need our soul. For our spirit to grow, we need our soul. And for this, our soul must undergo certain death, as we heard. Wilderness is an image of death, sanctification, and this sanctification is comprised of the fact that we die to our nation, our household, and our corrupt desires, our soul. We fall as bones in the wilderness, and we rise in our children, and this is an image of we ourselves. So practically dying, we forget the food of Egypt, the death, that which had interested us, our habits, our character. It remains there. And a new soul that has gone through the death of the Lord Jesus, it is now in a new format. It is completely obedient. Remember, I, I remember Delilah, how she had tried to find out the secret from Samson. And she had asked him certain questions. This wasn't just an ordinary game. She really wanted to be immersed into this mystery in order to be, to find out the secret. Remember how this happened. This is the format, though, of a different sermon. Walk about Zion and go all around her. Count her towers. Towers is the ability where God hears us and when we, where we hear God. Zion is the carrier of Urim and Thummim that has the immunity of God. Here is presented the sovereign rights or relationship with our spirit. Mark well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that you may tell it to the generation following. For this is God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. Psalms chapter 48, verses 12 through 14. To summarize the spheres in which we are called to have success in thanksgiving, it follows that if we are not how to deal with the sovereign rights of the soul in the image of Esau and the sovereign rights of Zion in the image of Jacob, we cannot succeed in thanksgiving in these spheres 
because our thanksgiving will be illegitimate. And so the second question, what conditions are necessary to fulfill that our heart is rooted in Christ Jesus, succeeding in this rooting with thanksgiving? Considering the order and sequence of accepting Christ into our heart, we accept justification in the seat of the word of truth. Walking in Christ, we by the cross of the Lord Jesus abolish the body of sin, which gives the foundation for the seed of justification to take root in Christ. To be rooted in Christ means to have the root of truth in oneself. Being rooted in Christ points to our origin in Christ Jesus from the seed of the word of truth. And therefore, in order to take root in Christ Jesus, it is necessary that the truth in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh to abide in our hearts and is the atmosphere of our heart. A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. Proverbs 12:3. From the existing parable that follows that the root of all righteous is justification, which they received on the conditions of Scripture by grace, freely, through redemption in Christ Jesus. And so, justification yielding our root, given to us by God in Christ Jesus, cannot be shaken. It is immovable. The root of the righteous is immovable. This phrase in Hebrew means the following. Can't be shaken, can't be staggered or shuddered, can't fall, can't be thrown down. can't be moved. This is what Job had said, the most ancient book in literature. Job chapter 29, verses 19 through 20. My root is spread out to the waters, and the dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is fresh within me, and my bow is renewed in my hand. This is a parable. Proceeding from the fact that the root is an image of justification, water and dew are the image of the teaching of Christ. Branches are different areas of our life, and the strength of the bow is an image of the strength of our spirit. Then this allegory would sound something like this. It was presented to us by our pastor as this. I think all of us have remembered, memorized it my justification is founded in the teaching of Christ, and the power of this teaching dwells in all spheres of my life. The glory of the teaching that dwells within me is everlasting, and I have strength in spirit. Justification that is called the root of our origin is called upon to be tested by the relationships of saints to each other. How can I verify, do I have the root of righteousness or not? My correct relationship toward saints. The place of scripture, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. The love of Christ. And do we remember that this love is a holy love. It is a love that separates what is pure from what is impure. As many think, well, God loves everyone. And as we have been taught, we know that according to Scripture, that God does not love everyone. God loves the righteous, and He hates the lawless. The relationships of saints to each other are called to be tested by words that create peace, which are devoid of hypocrisy and gradation and intrigue as they are based on the absence of suspicion of each other. Can you imagine what kind of atmosphere this is? Precisely according to the words that create peace, one should judge the firmness of the spirit presented in the firmness of the root of the righteous. The desire of envious people to trap the righteous in a web of evil woven by words of suspicion and slanderous intrigues will catch them themselves in this net and the righteous will come out of the trouble prepared for him because the root of the righteous is firm. And remember, remember how we ought to bridle our lips. We are called to be taught meekness by Christ to take his words, to take his word and proclaim this word in relation to one another. So to not interpret with our eyes the behavior of my neighbor. This phrase, to not speak lies to one another. Lies is that which our flesh shows us in relationship to, in relation to saints and not what God reveals to us through the lips of our pastor on the pages of Scripture. This is what it means to not speak lies to one another. The wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. Proverbs chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. Christ also had this meekness. He was taught this meekness and he bridled his lips. Remember, as he had said, I have much to judge of you, but I speak only that which I heard from my Father. And the result that Christ said is astounding to me. He already knew that he is going to depart, that he is going to be crucified on the cross. He said the following phrase, Here comes the prince of this world, but has nothing in me. Take a look, has nothing. The fruit of the lips is the confession of the content in the heart of a person, which can be good or bad. Everything will depend on the kind of treasure that is contained in the heart of a person. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. 
But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, an idle word as we remember are empty words that lack the faith of the heart, that lack the faith of the heart, or rather those words that a foreign person has passed on to us that has not been anointed. These are the words of a sinner who takes statutes, but they are not in the heart. This is every idle word. And so for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Matthew chapter 12, verses 35-37 The genus of the treasure contained in the heart of a person determines the genus of the root in which this person is rooted. If these are vital wor- idle words, then there will not be faith of the heart. This will simply be the desire of a person, the desire that he portrays as the will of God. Because as we know, there is a price that must be paid for the faith of the heart, total sanctification, with total dedication that follows. In order to just speak, proclaim these words without paying a price, this won't yield anything. And Pastor highlights that we can keep in our mind only that image that we received through revelation from the Holy Spirit in which we are able to verify by Scripture. And so, the kind of the treasure contained in the heart of a person determines the kind of the root in which this person is rooted. The root of evil is defined in a person by the love of money in which a person, using the principles of figurative thinking, seeks perishable wealth, and measures the level of his relationship with God with it. The root of good, or the root of the righteous, is determined in a person by the absence of love of money, which gives a person a reason to thrive in thanksgiving in the sphere of truth, piety, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. To To succeed in these things, or to pursue, means to have righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness, and to not, as princes of Mammon, to seek perishable wealth, as they say, think of a certain amount, use your figurative thinking, and then at the end of the year you will receive this amount, is what, amount is what they say. To flee, to flee these things means to not listen to such people who speak of these things. When a person is looking for material success using the spiritual principles given to search for a wealth that is incorruptible in the face of Jesus Christ, he will not be able to prosper in thanksgiving in such areas such as righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. The next definition of the firmness or the root or rooting in Christ is determined by the first fruits of holiness, 
in which we are separated into the property of God, which extends to all areas of our life, yielded by our branches. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. Romans chapter 11, verse 16. Attention should be paid to the fact that the calling of a holy first fruit in the dignity of the holy root was raised from the holy seed of the gospel word of truth, in which we accept a justification in our salvation given to us in the format of a deposit. From this it follows that until the holy seed of justification which we have received in the salvation in the format of a deposit receives in our hearts the affirmation expressed in rooting, we cannot be called the holy beginning or holy first fruit, representing the power and the glory of the teaching of Christ in our heart. A first fruit, as I remember in Hebrew, is to reign or the commanding. The reason why many people who have received the seed of justification and their salvation will be blotted out of the book of life and inherit destruction is because they will not allow the Holy Spirit to grow from the holy seed a holy root. And they, having received salvation when they came to the congregation to worship the Lord, they did not so much prepare their hearts to hear the word as to the sacrifice of fools. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1, we know this place of scripture that we see each time when we come to service. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. For they do not know that they do evil. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. To do evil, as the pastor showed, is to commit lawlessness. Lawlessness is when a person goes to church to pray, sing, preach, to serve. But, firstly, we ought to go to church in order to hear the Word of God, to be ready to accept this Word, to be ready to hear that which the Lord wants to tell us, to correct me in something. And as we know, correction is the best kind of oil that the righteous can accept upon himself. So to be ready and to irrefutably and immediately fulfill that which he hears. And this phrase, Pastor provided for us in an ex- expanded context. Let us read it. Observe what goals you pursue when you go to the house of God and be ready to listen or to hear rather than to sacrifice for they have not been taught that they do evil and they commit lawlessness. They have rejected the teacher. The soil of the hearts of such people is similar either to the image of the road that receives the seed from the sower, but since it is not plowed and not prepared to receive this seed, the birds in the image of their carnal thinking peck the seed and it becomes fruitless. They think about how to earn more money. And another principle, uh, honoring God with tithes and offerings. These people usually pay tithes. One person tells me, listen, 
it's so nice in your church they preach about tithes I found out something if you want to receive something from God a thousand dollars give him a thousand dollars if you want to receive this give this if you want ten thousand you must give ten thousand and then God will bless you take a look at what the thinking of such a person is expressed in what kind of lawless thinking he has why does he think so because he has interpreted this with his own mind the law of of uh, sowing and harvest a person must define what house he is going into is this the house of God or is it an ordinary church where he will just attend in order to satisfy his his religious needs and if you do go into the house of God and if you try to proclaim after the words of an apostle I think this is very dangerous and scary and pastor shows us that before going into the house of the Lord we need to pray inside for God to open to open the person because everything begins from the person whom God reveals for God to reveal that through this person I am speaking that all the words that he is going to pass along they are going to be my words and then we can calmly go and many things we might not be able to understand what the anointed one says but we know who is saying this through him the next definition of the firmness of our root or our rooting in Christ in which we are called to succeed in thanksgiving is the morning star that has risen in our hearts and so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts knowing this first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit Second Peter chapter one verses nineteen through twenty-one. According to the prophet Isaiah, the morning star that has risen in the heart of man is the light of righteousness and the light of salvation that has risen in the heart of man. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. Isaiah chapter 62, verses 1 through 2. The proof of the presence in our heart of a bright and morning star will be our love for the coming of the Lord. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Revelation chapter 22, verses 16 through 17. The absence in the heart of a person of the main goal, expressed in love for the Lord's appearance in the air, 
not confirmed by evidence of the preparation of oneself for rapture, not only will not allow us to succeed in thanksgiving, but will make our praise expressed in thanksgiving illegitimate, and therefore sinning. To love the coming, to prepare oneself for rapture, this pastor has shown us, is to grow in the heart the fruit, Methuselah, banishing death. You remember this. The next definition of the firmness of our root or our rooting in Christ, in which we are called to succeed in thanksgiving, is the presence in the heart of Urim, who removes the secret of the seven seals from the book, which is in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Revelation chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. Considering the fact that everything that God intends to produce on earth in the work of His redemption, He will produce exclusively the real person that is in the likeness of Him. It follows that the book in the right hand of the one who sits on the throne, written inside and outside, and sealed with seven seals, is an image of the human heart in which Christ abides, in which abides in Christ. It follows that if in the heart of a person the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh does not abide and his heart does not abide in this teaching, then such a person not only will never be able to succeed in this prayer and thanksgiving, but in addition, his praise expressed in thanksgiving will be illegitimate. So here God views us as sealed inside and outside with seven seals. Of course, here is presented one seal, righteousness. Seven is an image of fullness, the fullness of the seal. But for this, in order to unseal, Christ had to uncover these seals. Therefore, he says, do not weep. We are found in the right hand of the Heavenly Father, and he says, I am holding you by your right hand. And when the time comes for the uncovering of the righteous, for them to shine, then they will destroy this world through the proclamation of the judgments against the lawlessness in the church in order to cleanse the church with the judgment of fire. Specifically, the Holy Spirit through Christ will unseal the righteous, uncover them. And this he does through the righteous that are in the likeness of Christ whom he and through the preached word of the end days, 
the righteous will be unsealed. To unseal, Apostle showed, is to clothe into the new man. This will not happen in a period of time. This will happen, as Pastor said, with a, with a sound, with a noise. And when the uncovering happens in a sequence, this is when we call the inexistent as existent because we are still sealed. And God says, do not cry, for I have wept much, desiring for the Lord to unseal the righteousness that is hidden, which we carry, which we carry in this vessel of us. The next definition of the firmness of our root or our rooting in Christ in which we are called to succeed in thanksgiving is yielded by the grace of God in our heart in the dignity of the law of grace. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 through 17. The dignity of the law of the grace of God in our heart should be determined by the presence in our heart of the knowledge that we received through instruction in faith who God is for us, what God has done for us, and what we must do to abide in all that God has done for us. Proceeding from the existing warning, the deprivation of the grace of God is a deprivation of the right to inheritance in Christ Jesus, or the deprivation of the right to salvation which we received in the format of a deposit. And the reason for the deprivation of the grace of God in this warning is the form of any fornication or refusal of the birthright. The phrase, so that there is no fornicator among you, first of all, implies a kind of fornicator that sins not so much against his body as against his spirit. For a person sees his sin he goes and repents trying to be rid of it but fornication against his spirit a person does not see adulterers and adulteresses do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God James 4 4 friendship with the world is adultery it is pastor shows us here he clarifies that friendship with the world is not friendship with the people of this world expressed in friendly relations with our neighbors and with colleagues at work. Such relations are norm. Otherwise, we would have to leave the world. And therefore, friendship with the world which is imputed to us as the sin of adultery or the sin of fornication is our friendship with those realities that are the definition of this world that lies in evil. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. 1 John chapter 2, verses 16-17 through 17. And so friendship with the world is friendship with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Friendship with the people in this world is fine. We are called to be a light to them. They do not defile us. Refusal of the birthright in favor of food is an image, or a morsel of food is an image of refusal from being in Christ in favor of momentary desires of the flesh. A morsel, pastor shows, is snack, food, rust, or a corrosive substance. To summarize, a person succeeding in thanksgiving is a person rooted in the righteousness of faith in Christ Jesus. And the proof of his rooting in Christ Jesus will be the fact that this person or his environment will be the power of guiding light as well as the power of salt which yields the holiness of his works, actions, and garments. While a person who has lost the grace of God is transformed into a bitter root that will defile and harm both himself and his environment. And he will serve as a stumbling block in his words, actions, and garments. That is, he will demand from others to carry a burden that he himself will never bear. And consequently, such a person will not be able to present evidence of his rooting in Christ, by virtue of which he will not be able to succeed in thanksgiving in the area that is absent in his heart. Therefore, his thanksgiving will always be illegitimate. So we might succeed in thanksgiving only in those fears that are contained in our heart. And so the third question, what conditions must we fulfill that we could be built in Jesus Christ and be successful in this with thanksgiving? So first, we accept the seed, then we are rooted, and now we need to affirm it. To be affirmed in Christ Jesus and be successful in this with thanksgiving means to affirm in our heart the root of righteousness that is already present. And if the justification that we received in salvation in the format of a deposit and rooted in will not be affirmed in the format of fruit of righteousness, will be cast out of the limits of salvation. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-2 through two. To be affirmed in the teaching offered about righteousness in which we are affirmed, we must be strengthened by the righteousness we have affirmed. But first, 
we must look at the process of affirmation in Jesus Christ as the root of righteousness in our heart that has been made dependent on our success in this process of thanksgiving. We know that in order to fulfill our salvation, we must accept the gospel from the preached word of the messengers of God and then be affirmed in this gospel through that same word, after which we affirm in an unchanging form in which we are called to affirm. In this manner, the gospel of the kingdom that we accepted in justification in the faith of Jesus Christ in which we were rooted became the building or affirmation of our righteousness. Therefore, the affirmation of our righteousness in which we were rooted in Jesus Christ is affirming the powers accepted by us in justification in which we, in the proclamation of the faith of our heart, call the inexistent as existent. And so, Pastor offers a place of scripture in which is clearly represented the mechanism of our affirmation. Let us read it. We still have some time. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons. And they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. Pay attention. David had already was already anointed by God to be a king. However, if by that same God he would not have been affirmed in the calling of a king, then, like Saul, he would have lost his virtue and calling. For Saul had also accepted justification and was rooted in it, but was not affirmed. And here is the reason why Saul was not affirmed. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly, you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be a commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 13-14 When we are rooted, we receive something from God, and we behave to this with ease. For Saul thought that he had fulfilled everything. All that God told him, he thought he fulfilled it. And when Samuel had told him, No, you have not fulfilled everything, Saul didn't even want to listen to him about this. For God to find a man after his own heart means to find a person who would allow him to affirm him in his rooted righteousness. This affirmation is in a person denying to rule over his heart with his mind. Saul ruled over his mind or over his heart with his mind. He did not allow his heart to rule over his mind. And as we know, the prince could enter only 
to the doorstep, the threshold, and then had to stop there before the temple. And further, worship had to be carried out by the priests who would fulfill or who would commit the sacrifice. And remember what the threshold or doorstep is. It is the knowledge of the order of God, voluntary obedience to his hierarchy and his statute. So Saul had refused, had refused to submit in the face of, to, he refused to submit to God in the face of the prophet. In Hebrew, the word to build or to affirm means to enhance, make strong, give power, to erect from the dead, to restore rights, to pick up from the ruins, to enrich in the sufferings of Christ, to make unshakable, to be persistent, to be still, to be firmly grounded, to be safe, to be prepared for battle, to be corrected, to be instructed, to be alert, to be disciplined. What kind of rich semantic is behind this word? And to give God the foundation to affirm the fruit of our righteousness in Christ Jesus with thanksgiving, it is necessary to willingly obey the preached word of the messengers of God in the teaching of affirmation, the building or the root of our righteousness. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, Apostle Paul writes, according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Romans chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. You see, here is shown that people themselves cannot be affirmed. They cannot, reading scripture, be affirmed on their own. Apostle Paul clearly writes, Now him who is able to establish you, God is going to establish or affirm only through the preached word of the person whom God has sent. And to understand what the strength of our righteousness is, and how to be successful in it with thanksgiving, we will turn to the things that allowed David to understand that God had affirmed him as king. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And three signs, here a pastor had showed three signs, three signs according to which King David had known or was established as king. He, he had known that God had established him as king, had affirmed him. And these signs also relate to us. These are the messengers of the king of Tyre, the cedar trees of the king of Tyre, and the carpenters and masons of the king of Tyre. And I think I will end at this because this is a very large, very interesting a sermon that ought to be listened to at home because here the Lord clearly and here are clear images who the messengers are what are the cedar trees who are the carpenters the masons who is the king of Tyre 
how the process of affirmation happens in our heart and our time has almost run out and I think I will conclude at this and we are going to pray and we thank God for that word that we have that he teaches us how to walk in the truth for it is written if you remember and John it is written for me there is no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth so the heart of God rejoices the heart of our father rejoices when all that we hear we express it in our prayers our actions our works our relations with one another and it is written that joy is like medicine but a broken spirit dries up the bones amen let us pray Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we again and again worship this holy place that your hand has outlined for the worship before your holy face. We thank you for your word that you have shown in your beauty. We thank you that you do not attribute to us those commandments that we would not be able to fulfill. You open to us only that which we are capable of fulfilling because you have endowed us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And thanks to his help, we can leave our nation, our Father, our sinful life expressed, expressed in carnal desires not covering them with virtues, all kinds of service, evangelism, or sacrificial offerings. We thank you that through your preached word, you have uncovered for us that to you is important, not the sacrifice itself or the service, but the motives of our heart, the goals that we pursue. And our goal is to fulfill your will. You teach us to love one another, to forgive, to stoop down to one another's level, to not pass along gossip of, towards one another. For to you there is no greater joy than to hear that your children walk in the truth of your word. For your word is the truth. We thank you, the Father of heaven and earth, that in Christ Jesus you have allowed us to draw near to your riches that are contained in your word. We know that in your commandments is contained your great wisdom. You have uncovered for us the truth about resurrection, that your resurrection is founded on the teaching of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent for us. The power of this teaching abides in all spheres of our life. We have the firmness of our spirit. Your promises are faithful. And we thank you that our sinful body 
is abolished and we are no longer slaves of sin. We thank you for the healing that you have placed on our accounts. We, with patience, continue to wait for that hour when our perishable body will be clothed in imperishability, when you will show your might and your glory in us, and when you will fulfill that promise that you have revealed to us through your preached word at the door of our hope. You are vigilant over your word, and you will fulfill it at the time established by you. May your mercy be blessed for us, for us to fulfill our will, to be vigilant with you over that word that we have accepted and have hid in our heart in order to grow the fruit of long-suffering and to show faithfulness to the teaching that we have accepted. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for all of our ministers, for Pastor Daniel, for the leader of cell groups, for all saints, and we pray greatly for our dear Pastor Arkady. May he be given your word according to your great mercy for your church so that he can pass it along with boldness as it should be. And we are going to prepare our hearts to accept your word in that form in which you open it to us. We bow down before you and praise you, our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And in conclusion of our service, we will proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with unblemished joy, to God our Savior, through Jesus Christ, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.